This story has been recorded at an Addictive Eaters Anonymous meeting in New Zealand. You can email us at contact at aeanz.org. Today is the first Friday of the month, and we have a speaker who is Tina. My name is Tina, and I am addicted to food. Hi, Hi, Tina. Tina. I was remembering um, just a while ago about an incident that happened when I was eating. And it's sort of stuck in my head. And this is what my eating was like. I can remember I was quite young at that stage. And Mother and I, every Saturday, we used to make an exodus in Marty, Dorothy, and Uncle Bill's. Now, there are no relation, but I was brought up in an era where you never called an adult by their first name. It was always either Auntie or Uncle, or Mr. or Mrs. So I had a lot of aunties and uncles. But anyway, we went to Auntie Dorothy and Uncle Bill's, like we normally did on a Saturday afternoon. And we were there for dinner, and I remember get, being given a plate of rice and stew. Very nice. But it was in proportion to my age. And I remember eating it, and I must have... Um, asked for a second helping. I must have. Because I remember going back into the kitchen and nobody was there. And I remember coming out with a plate which had more on as my second helping than my first time. Had much more on. And because it had so much food on it, I was busy stuffing it into my mouth quickly as I was walking down the corridor so that nobody would see um, how much I had taken. Well, because I'd taken also a lot of gravy and I was shoving it in, I wasn't bothering to chew, I was just swallowing as I was going down. And I swallowed and there was a bone and it got lodged in my throat. And I remember screaming like mad. Of course, all the adults came running to see what was what. And I thought, oh, it was so embarrassing being caught with this, you know, with this plate of food that was piled high. But that's what my eating was like. You know, I just couldn't get enough. And so you know, my, all my eating, all through the years, it's littered with little episodes like that. And on top of the eating was that obsession with food, always thinking about it, dreaming about it. You know, no matter where I went, and so sometimes I, you know, I th when I think about it, I think about how embarrassed my mother must have been with my eating, you know, because. I just stole food wherever we went, if there was an opportunity. Especially if we spent the night, I'd be in there. I'd be in the kitchen. And I can remember getting to a stage where, because in those days there was no Tupperware, it was all tins, I could prise the lid off a tin without any sound whatsoever. 
And I was really proud of that. I thought I was hot. Um, the only place that never... Um, I, I mean, I was like a bloodhound. I couldn't figure it out where food was. But at Auntie Anne's place, I was never able to do that. Somehow or other, I could never find where she stashed her load. And, you know, I spent umpteen nights in her kitchen going through cupboards, but I just couldn't find her stash. <laughs> oh, it was so annoying. But I did find one, at one stage, I did find an unopened box of sweets and something else, but I can't remember what that something else was. So it was very slim pickings at her place. And, um, but anyway, I took it back to bed with me and had a little midnight feast. And in the morning, I woke up to Auntie and Mother discussing the missing sweets. And one of them said, Tina must have taken it. And I remember absolutely squirming inside. Um, it was so humiliating, embarrassing, and I just pretended to still be asleep. I mean, they didn't mention it later on. And I mean, she had three daughters, younger than I was, but, you know, Tina must have done it. So people are not stupid. I mean, they knew it. Just the way I was. And I, it never once occurred to me. I, I mean, even in spite of the embarrassment, I don't know that I ever felt guilty. I don't recall ever feeling guilty. I was just so upset at being found out. Um, but, you know, it wasn't just the fruit that I stole. Anything that took my eye was fair game if I could get hold of it. Um, and I, and every time I got found out, because I'm not one of those clever ones that can get away with anything, I always got found out, eventually. It never stopped me. Not once. And, you know, when I think back, I never had a memory of the time before when I got found out. Never. It was like a whole blank canvas. It was as though I had done it for the first time. I mean, I, of course I knew I hadn't, but I just wasn't conscious of those other times at all. Um, along with that, with the stealing, was the lying. Yeah. yeah, by golly, I told so many lies to so many people, just totally unable to tell the truth. Well, I don't know whether that's quite right or not. It was just easier to lie than to be honest. You know, I really thought for a long, long while, many, many years, that I was a very honest person. I don't know how, but, you know, you sort of lie to yourself often enough. It, you know, it was like um, the drink as well. For years, I told everybody that I was teetotal. And I told it so often for so long, I actually believed it. I never told anyone about a well-stocked liquor cabinet and um, the wine in the garage. And, you know, the, the, I was obsessive about that. I can remember going into wine shops and just spending 
ages in that those places, just looking at these bottles and you know maybe buying. I don't know whether I. There were times where I went and walked out without anything, but it was just crazy behaviour, absolute, absolute madness. I was the same with food, but you know I didn't know what was wrong with me. All I thought was I had a weight problem for years. I thought that. I thought I was a stress eater too. And in my thirties, I suddenly thought, and I was eating. Why am I eating? I'm not stress. Nothing's wrong. But I'm eating. In, you know, into, it, it came into my mind and it just went out. And so I just did the same thing over and over again, always thinking that this time, or hoping that this time it was going to work. And that was dieting. My weight fluctuated, but I was always on that uphill spiral because. I mean, I had the best will in the world, the best intentions in the world, but I could never actually stick to anything. I couldn't stick to it long enough. Sooner or later, I'd be eating again. It was always a valid excuse, of course. I was eating again. We got to a stage where I was all dieted out. And during those last six months of my eating, was sheer hell. Don't get me wrong, until then I really enjoyed my eating. I loved my eating. Oh, it was wonderful. <coughs> Food was wonderful. I loved it. The last six months when I was all dieted out, it was just hell. And, you know, I can remember lying in bed eating, which is where I did all my eating, or most of it anyway, in bed. You can imagine what the state of bed was like with all those crumbs and smears and... And I remember I was eating crisps at that time. And I remember looking at this crisp and thinking, is that all that there is to life? And from that moment on, I wanted to die. And I demanded of God one day that he find me an answer. I wanted him, I said to him, do something. Either let me die or find me an answer. I don't care what, just do it. And I believe that God heard. I do. Because it wasn't long before I met this lady who I, um, I had gone to for a while. She ran a diet clinic. And she asked me how it was. And for the first time, it just came out of my mouth. I didn't even think about it, it just came out. Kate, I don't know what's wrong with me, I can't seem to stop eating. And she said, well, maybe you need more specialised help. And she mentioned this fellowship. And she said, look, give me your phone number and I will ring you and come see you and we'll have a talk. And I felt this incredible relief. And um, she never ran. Never mind. I was fuming. I thought, she doesn't care. Nobody cares. If she cared, she'd be ringing me. Well, I'm not going to ring her. <laughs> so I didn't. And I carried on eating for two more months. And at the end of that time, I'd had enough and I made the effort to track her down. And I rang her. 
Oh, I wasn't very gracious. First words out of my mouth were, Hello, Kate. How are you? Wasn't that. Thank you for ringing me, I said. <laughs> and she was very apologetic. And she mentioned somebody in the fellowship. And, uh, and she said, I'm seeing this lady tonight. I will give her your phone number. And the lady concerned rang me that very same night. And on Saturday morning, I opened the door, didn't know what to expect. And there she was, slim. And there was just something about her. That smile was absolutely beautiful. As I said, there was just something about her. <coughs> Anyway, she shared her experience with me. I can't remember <coughs> what she said. All I remember is she talked about, what did she talk about? The food, you know, what it was like for her. And I think she talked about the lying and the stealing. And I remember trying desperately Desperately not to cry. <laughs> I couldn't stop myself. I didn't cry too much. But at the end of it, um, she said she was coming to a meeting on Monday night and would I like to come? And I said yes. And I said to her, one of the things I said to her was, I am afraid I will not stick because I've never been able to stick at anything. You know, no matter what it was, a diet, whatever, never managed to stick at anything. And I have to tell you, I still remember this. She said to me, she said, you are a very sick lady and your mind is totally warped. <laughs> <laughs> And I was just blank inside. It was hilarious, you know, when I think back now. I just stood there. <laughs> because really, I didn't know. I don't think I knew what on earth she was talking about. But anyway, I didn't, know. I didn't really matter. It's just what I remembered. And she took me to my first meeting. And um, I had visions in my head of this, what this first meeting was going to be like. I was going to secrete myself in the deepest, darkest corner that there was and listen. I walked into a room and there's no deepest, darkest corner. There's this jolly circle. You know, you can't hide anywhere. I remember spotting Robin when I first walked in and I remember thinking, oh, she looks like a pixie. I know she's got green eyes. Because people who are related to the pixie folk have green eyes. So I was very interested. Um, so anyway, we sat down and I remember I was facing the door. And everybody that walked through that door was slim. Everybody. I was the only obese person in the room. The only fat person in the room. The only plump person in the room. Everybody was slim. You know, proof that it worked. But I didn't think like that then. Anyway, I don't know what it was that I heard, but I believe my heart did. Halfway through the meeting, I started to shake, and I couldn't stop shaking. And I'm clutching onto this oversized big black bag that I had, 
try to appear very nonchalant. Um, but it certainly, it certainly affected me what, what was being shared, although really I wasn't hearing anything at all, I don't think. And at the end of the meeting, um, I said to this lady, what do I do now? And she said, just go to the meetings. And that's exactly what I did. I went to every single meeting. Oh, by the way, Robin doesn't have green eyes. I found that out at the end of the meeting. <laughs> but I remember Robin's words too. She said that she did not believe that anybody walked through those doors by mistake. I know, over 20 years, Robin. Um, yeah, I'm still coming. You know, pretty damn good for somebody that can't stick at anything. Anyway, so I went to every single meeting that I was. And it was wonderful. I don't know, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I wasn't really hearing anything, but it was all wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And gradually, over time, and I don't know how long it was, before I realised, oh, it's not a weight problem. Got a disease called addiction. Oh, that was euphoric. After all those years of struggling, you know, to try and try and try and lose the weight, it wasn't about the weight, it was about addiction. It was just so euphoric. I went around telling everyone. Anyone, strangers, anyone. You know, if I had a captive audience, that was it. I was telling them, oh, um, I'm addicted to food. You know, here's this wonderful fellowship, etc., etc. Oh, gosh, it was wonderful. Anyway, it was through here, through my sponsor's help, that I found a power greater than myself that could stop me eating. But, you know, they, I just have to... I, I find it, it rather amusing, you know, my, my naivety, or whatever you like to call it. I can remember emptying out my pantry. Now, I, I don't think anybody had said to me to empty out my pantry, but I remember Sharon was there. She was sitting at the table as I was pulling things out of the pantry. And she was mouthing platitudes that made me want to really hit up. You know, things like, it'll be all right, Mum. It's for your own good. <laughs> you know, I really didn't appreciate all that. Yeah. Oh, I loved baked beans in those days. I always had a stash of baked beans. I remember picking up this tin and looking at it. I felt so sad. I heard her say, you know, I don't think I've ever seen anyone kiss a tin of baked beans before. <laughs> it was so upsetting to let go of all that food. But, unbeknownst to anyone, even my sponsor, I kept a little store. And I remember one, one item of food was these pot pan biscuits that I brought from Hong Kong. And they were curried pot pan biscuits. 
And I remember support pages trying to figure out a way I could get it onto my food plate. <laughs> I spent a lot of time. Um, in the end, but the end was a long way away from there before I actually got rid of all of it. So I had this little hidden store. And I can remember one day I had, I put myself to bed in the afternoon. And I've been on a food plan for a little while, I'm not quite sure how long, but anyway, I've been on this food plan for a little while. And I've been you know, trying to effect this conscious contact with God and, you know, asking him for the strength not to pick that first one up. Anyway, this particular afternoon I put myself to bed, woke up, got up, went into the kitchen, opened the pantry, took out, not the pot pan, but something else, something also from Hong Kong, and I ate it. And with the first, the minute it hit the back of my throat, I knew I had picked up that first one. But I couldn't stop. So I had another and another and another. I just couldn't stop. And there had been nothing in my head to stop me before that. I was just a blank canvas. And I remember ringing my sponsor and I was crying away. And I was crying so much I couldn't tell her what I'd done, but she picked it up and said, you leave, you know, you me. Picked up the first one. And I couldn't tell her that I had carried on eating. I only told her I had had one. And when I went to the meeting and shared it, I told them I'd only had one. I couldn't tell anyone that I had just carried on eating. It was just an incredible experience in the respect that I had just been so blunt, just like a robot. And I was directed to the big book on page 43, that last paragraph where it says, it talks about, we are dependent on a higher power. Our strength must come from a higher power. And I underlined it, because I was absolutely, totally powerless. Yeah, addiction is so strong. I can remember at one point, and this was, I don't know how, how long, I don't even know if I was in recovery then, I have no idea. Um, but I remember um, a girlfriend of mine introduced me to fizzy mineral water. She called it Spudel. And it's just water aerated. So anyway, I was at her place one day and she gave me some. Oh, I quite liked that, oh, that was very nice. So I went, but I didn't quite like the taste of it. It was a little bit sort of salty, I think, saline or something like that. I'm not quite sure. Anyway, so I went to the supermarket. I saw New Zealand water, sparkling. So I bought that. They came in little bottles. Plumped a straw in it. Oh, very nice. 
Anyway, um, I was at my sponsor's place one day and I told her about this. And she never said anything. So I said to her, what do you think? She said, if it were me, I would not. And I left, you know, thinking about it. And I thought, well, she didn't say no. <laughs> she just said, if it were me, I wouldn't. So I went home and opened another bottle. <laughs> Put the straw in it, slurp, slurp, slurp. I felt so uncomfortable. I left half of it. Next morning, I had some more. I was sitting right by my bedside, so I had some more. Monday night meeting, I'm sitting at the meeting, and all I could think about was getting home to have that fizzy mineral water. That's all I could think about. At the end of the meeting, I went over to her and I told her. She said, that's your first one. Go home, get rid of it. I said, well, can I have the three or four bottles that are left in the fridge? <laughs> no. no. Go home, get rid. So I went home, opened the fridge door. Oh, God, I, I couldn't think about it. I just had to empty those three or four bottles down the sink straight away. I just didn't think I did it. Didn't tell her about the, the, the dozen bottles I had in the pantry. Next day, I'm on my way to work with my boss, and I said to him, are you in the market for a dozen bottles of fizzy mineral water? <laughs> yes, why? Well, that was a golden opportunity, wasn't it, to carry the help, carry the message. <laughs> uh, I don't think he really understood, though. But anyway, I got rid of those bottles of fizzy mineral water. Went to the supermarket. There are those bottles of fizzy mineral water. And I felt a pain, but I moved on. Addiction is so strong. Today, I have no reaction to it. It just isn't there. You know, God has removed the problem. And it's all through coming here. So I'm very lucky to be alive. I no longer demand of God that he let me die because he's found me an answer. So I'll keep coming. Thank you. Thank you.